Hi, you are listening to Mediation Station, and this is your host, Greg Fenton. Each week we explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and look to promote the profession of conflict resolvers. We are available to connect with at greggf at primus.ca and 647-227-4734. Visit us at our Facebook page to like us and Facebook group page to become a member. Also visit YouTube channels for both CHHA 1610 AM and Greg Fenton. Listen to podcasts of each radio show by visiting soundcloud.com and at iTunes podcasts under Mediation Station within the uh, arts area. Our Twitter account is at Fenton Mediation, so please follow us. You can contact me at either 647-227-4734 or greggf at primus.ca. Tonight we do have a show, and we're talking with two people who are visiting. One is Cheryl Harris, and the other is Ivla Pollard, Jr. And we're talking tonight, Tough Love Approach in Family Law. So I want to welcome the two of you. Thank you. How you doing? Hey, thank you. So which one was Cheryl? I'm going to put that up. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Cheryl. Hi, Greg. And Eva? Ivla. Ivla, sorry. I'll call you Ive. Right. You said that was okay to do. All right. Okay, you gave me permission. So we're going to talk about tough love approach to in family law. And, you know, people might be wondering what that means. I want to put out the phone number. People can call in at 416-785-0680. Start by sharing from each of your own perspectives what your professional background is. What do you do in your world outside of this? Let's start with, yeah, Cheryl. Well, um, I was born in Jamaica, and I came to Canada in 1976. I worked for the TD Bank for 12 years, and then... Following my father's untimely death in 1986, I was propelled out of the bank and back to school to ultimately become a lawyer. I've been a lawyer now for 23 years. I'm a family lawyer. And in fact, next month, my classmates, Law 93, uh, the Law 93 group at Queen's University in Kingston, will be having our 25th reunion. That's hard for me to believe 25 years have just passed by it's a number in your head exactly don't worry about that and how about you okay in terms of me my name is Ivla currently I work for a nationally recognized courier company but my background is basically in empowering the youth I went to Centennial College I took their marketing program I also was a youth mentor for a program called Youth Assisting Youth in the City of Toronto. I also was, at one time I was working at the former city of York Parks and Recreation Department. So my I have a very diverse experiences in the workforce, especially when it comes to dealing with youth and just empowering people to make better changes in their life on a daily basis. Right. Because life is filled with challenges, right? All the time. I agree with you. And how we intersect in those moments, whether they go down the positive path or the not-so-positive path. So what's important to each of you as to the work you do as a professional or your interests in the, the areas, as you mentioned, with youth, etc.? What's important to you? What's important to me is making a difference, a real difference in people's lives and primarily in the lives of their children. So whatever I can do to help 
individuals be or think along the lines of not what happened in their relationship and why it broke up, but how they're going to be better parents going forward if they have children, because the children are my primary focus, generally. Why did you focus, Cheryl, your practice on family law? Um, I actually started out as a refugee lawyer, and then um, I, I argued hundreds of refugee claims at the refugee tribunal. And then the, a lot of the clients started having family law problems. So my practice segued yeah. right into family law. It was quite an easy transition for me, and I had done enough refugee work, and I was actually quite excited about being a family lawyer. And how long have you been practicing in the family lawyer? Um, I would say 20 years, yeah. maybe 18 years, 18 years. So how did the two of you meet? Uh, actually, we met two to, th- two to probably two and between two and three years ago at uh, Family Court on 47 Shepherd Avenue East. Yeah. And actually, Cheryl was my uh, duty counsel. Duty counsel. Duty counsel. What's a duty counsel? A duty counsel is a per diem lawyer who represents unrepresented people. Um, it's a service provided by Legal Aid Ontario, and every day there are duty counsel at each of the court locations right. in Toronto and elsewhere, and there are also advice lawyers. Right, so duty counsel, of my understanding, is that when people are scheduled in court for a session that day? Exactly. And advice is when they're not scheduled? Exactly. So you were scheduled for a court uh, session? Yes, actually it was my first time. I didn't know what to expect. And really, truly, meeting Cheryl was probably one of the best things to happen to me at that time in my life. And that's where the first thing I always do remember is that she gave me tough love right off the bat. Tough love. Tough love. She didn't She didn't hold anything back. She was very honest and very candid with me about the whole entire process. And really, truly, she really made the transition from where I was to where I am now very smooth. So before we get into the tough love thing and all that, why were you at court? Well, basically, court? there was a breakdown in my marriage. So, you know, it, it just didn't work out. Right, so I was just in the process of just doing what I needed to do in terms of uh, being able to provide for my kids as well as trying to work out the financial part of the breakdown of my marriage. Okay, and so the court you were going to, 47 Shepherd, focuses on predominantly child matters. Yes, so basically I went there to specifically to deal with my uh, my two kids, uh, Noah and Gabrielle. Okay, and so then. You had a court date scheduled, and you showed up, and you were self-represented, as we call it. Yes. And I you needed so. some kind of guidance in terms of navigating things through, you know, through the process. Yeah, I really did because just going in there, not having any form of representation or actually knowing what to expect. Yeah. It's like you really can't prepare for it, right? Because you don't know what to expect. So I just, I just walked in there with a clear conscience. And I just hope for the best. So were you the one who initiated this court process, or were you on the responding end? I was on the responding end. So you're called the respondent. Yes, I was a respondent. And the birth mother, your 
ex-spouse yes. is the applicant. Yes. Okay. Just, you know, we're, and we're providing this kind of descriptive so that for the benefit of the listener. Okay. Because we're going to say things, and I, I just want them to also be connected to the conversation, too. You showed up, and when you first entered into the system, what was it like for you? Really, truly, it was it, it was really a struggle bec- for the simple fact is I didn't know about what was going on in the lives of my kids. But really, truly, once the ball started rolling and I got a sense of where I stand in terms of family court as well as my responsibilities, it actually became easier for me because... I just wanted to really, truly have a relationship with my kids, right? And mm-hmm. that's the attitude that I, I went into family court with. I want to just take my responsibilities, wherever wherever they may be, and just really build that relationship back with my kids that I once had. And Cheryl, when you are at court as either duty counsel or vice counsel, what do you see your purpose as being? Primarily to assist the clients that a lot of them don't really know what they're doing and how to manage the process. They're not lawyers and they need the guidance to not only understand the law as it pertains to them and their family situation and their children, custody issues, child support, but to also help them to be more comfortable and more relaxed with the process and not to be afraid. So, you know, I, I help them to be calm and many yeah. of them tell me that my voice actually is very soothing. <laughs> so yeah. that's a good thing for them because I end up making them feel yeah. a little more calm than when they came through the door. Absolutely. I know the, the nature of how we communicate with tone and style and approach with the words we use, the words we don't use, complimented by the manner of speaking can really make the difference in how people will connect with the, the message we're trying to communicate with. You know, we're trying to create a, a, a manner of how to the two of you connected. One, Cheryl, you're a family lawyer by trade, practice, yes. profession. And I you are a, quote, former client of uh, Cheryl's call it like that. And so the two of you met at court because you're self-represented and Cheryl is somebody who actually assist people in that manner, self-represented clients, litigants, we'll call it. You were explaining before about how you, what's your purpose in trying to, and then knowing someone like uh, Ive and how he might be overwhelmed, because in general, from my experience, people may tend to get overwhelmed. And court's the last place they want to go. And so there's a big apprehension and expectation, and that sort of puts more burden of anxiety on people. And then they don't necessarily connect with their moments and things that happen. So how do you get people to see the light in some way? Well, I try to explain the situation to them as clearly as I can, giving them information, legal information, about their case, be it about custody, child support, um, access. And if they're being unreasonable... I, I say to them, look, you, you have to stop putting yourself first. This isn't about you. This isn't about anybody else except doing the right thing for your children. So don't be selfish and start putting your children first. Well, how do you identify the word unreasonable? 
Well, for example, if they had a bad breakup and let's say somebody stepped out on someone else, which happens, um, and then there's this anger still lurking under the surface and it comes out when they come to court because they're still angry at their partner, their ex-partner, and that takes priority. They forget about the kids. So I remind them, this isn't about you. This isn't about your relationship with your wife or your ex-girlfriend or your husband or your ex-boyfriend. So drop it. Let's focus on your children because this is a go-forward situation and we can't go back and change the hands of time. Your relationship is over. Deal with that and move on. Well, in that manner, actually, as intimates, though the relationship will continue lifelong as co-parents. Exactly. And so for you, what was it that brought to you a connection with Cheryl? Really, truly, what brought me that connection was her willingness to just listen to what I had to say. Because sometimes when you go into those situations, sometimes it's moving so fast that you're 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 speaking, but at the same time, they're not listening to you. And I really commended Cheryl for taking the time and the patience to just at least listen to me and my situation concerning my children. And really, truly, it really did make a difference, right? Because I wasn't there to say if I was right or wrong, because obviously I wasn't a judge. But I just wanted my voice to be heard. Though don't you feel or didn't you feel that you had your story, your lived experiences, and you wanted to communicate about that? And in some way you may have felt you were right and wrong by the other side? Not really, because first of all, going back to my marriage, like we both weren't happy. So the best thing was for us to just go our separate ways. It just wasn't working out. And I didn't want it to trickle down to the relationship both of us have with our kids. So basically, I just I just asked the universe, like, listen, just end this relationship. And I did it in a subtle way. I just said, listen, I'm not happy. She's not happy. It's better in the long run that we both go our separate ways. And we just try to do it as civilly as we can for the sake of the children. Because that's going to be an ongoing connection that you have with the other person. Yes, I, I agree totally with you. And really, truly, that was my f- that was basically my own intention. I just wanted to just make this less confrontational between the both of us for the sake of our kids, right? And and eventually, that's what happened. And I'm just very thankful for it. So, as you started through things and you were showing up, how often did you end up going to court? I basically went to court maybe. Not as much because what happened was after the first time I had, it started, I think I was positive it was 2016 that I went back in 2017 because I had to unfortunately file a contempt of court order against my ex-wife, but that was rectified, but eventually everything got smoothed out. Not Unfortunately, not too recently, I had to go back to court. I filed another contempt of court order because once again, she wasn't seeing the kids, but... So that, that would mean that there was a court order already in place. Yes, there was always and a court order. Something in that court order wasn't being followed from your point of view. Yes, it wasn't, and it had to be addressed, because I just wasn't being able to... I, I just didn't get to see my kids. 
and I just wanted to see my kids. That's it, you know. And eventually, I, I had to go back probably not too long ago, and finally, it's hopefully it's it's finished, and I don't have to go back. But you know, ne- you just don't know. You just don't know. Sometimes you just don't know, because everything may be going smooth. Then all of a sudden, you're back to where you started. Life is filled with unexpecteds. It really is. And how we deal with those moments, you know, whether it goes down the positive path or the not so positive, as I mentioned earlier. When you get clients or individuals who show up at court with a schedule session or when they're not at court that day as a vice counsel, do you look at people in a different manner of how you, you know, support them in some way with the different roles that you play? Not at all. Um... When I'm duty counsel, I have to basically think on my feet and try to argue their case for them as best as I can in front of the judge, hopefully to get the order that's most favorable to them. As advice counsel, it's a little more relaxed where you have time, you can sit and and have a conversation. And in fact, I met Ivla the second time as advice counsel at Shepherd when he came to about the contempt motion because the mother was denying him complete completely denying him the opportunity to see or speak to his children so um, I helped him in that uh, in that manner as well and um, then that was it I didn't see him after I didn't see him again you know as a individual who is a self-represented litigant they're basically their own counsel they're expected to be prepared, organized, do their paperwork, and communicate what they need or want as part of the process. And that can be intimidating. And what was your experience with that? Really, truly, I wasn't really concerned about the intimidation part because it's like I I believe in faith and I believe in prayer. And those two things really, truly helped me get through the process. So I didn't... I didn't go into the whole process with all this anger, resentment. All I asked was that, you know, I forgave. First of all, I forgave myself for what I did wrong in the marriage. And I also forgave my wife for what she didn't do in the marriage. So once I did that, everything, there was no animosity of me going into family court. I just did not have that anger. I didn't have that resentment. You know, I did have bouts of frustration. But I didn't have no no really strong negative feelings towards her because when it was all said and done, it will always come back to the kids. So let's put it out there. What is tough love for you and you? What's this approach? Well, my tough love approach has always been that I don't mince words, uh, whether I'm representing the mom or the dad. If they're behaving badly and not doing what they should be doing to be good parents to their children, I'm going to call them out on it. And, uh, you know, I, I'm very direct. I say it like it is. And the clients like that because it wakes them up. And, in fact, many of them thank me after the fact and say, you know, I really needed that. I really needed somebody just to, you know, slap me in the head. Not literally, but figuratively, um, Mm -hmm. to get me focused and thinking not in a selfish way, but to put my children first. 
And I'm like that with dads and moms. And if you're behaving badly, you need to stop. You need to get over it, whatever the anger is between you and the, 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 the father or the mother. And focus on being a good parent. Because you're going to be a parent to this child or these children for a long time. You're yeah. going to be at their weddings. You're, you know, you're going to have to be there with the mother. Both of you are going to have moved on, probably. You're going to have to behave yourselves, you know, because your children should never have to fight and compete with loving both of their parents. They should be encouraged to love each of you the same way. So don't say negative things about the other parent ever in front of or to your children because it damages them. So well, I, I they're torn, right? They're because torn. the kids love both parents, and they should be able to love both parents without feeling guilty or hiding it from the other parent. And for you, I've okay. When you know, what was the tough love for you? Tough love, like I have a definition here that I'd like to read if I can. Yeah. Where it says basically, tough love is helping others to face up to responsibility without protecting them from the consequences of his or her decision so to me tough love is just basically just taking responsibility taking ownership right these are your kids you made them right maybe you didn't make them with the perfect person both from a male or female perspective but at the end of the day all children are blessings so i i just i just look at tough love as just taking responsibility and doing the right things for your kids joe was talking about her approach and her conversation about uh, how she's directive did you hear the message that she was trying to present or did you say what's she talking about no actually when i when cheryl started just just giving me giving me i call it straight talk i actually embraced it because i grew up around women just like cheryl where they just tell it like it is they're professional but at the same time they want to see that you take responsibility for the choices that you make, either even even if those choices are good or bad. So everything that Cheryl was telling me, I know it was coming from a good place inside of her. So I know that she was actually looking out not only for myself or even my ex-wife, but also primarily the the welfare of our kids. So she was. You felt the the sincerity of what she was yeah, saying. Yeah, she was genuine. She was totally genuine. She wasn't fake. She wasn't counterfeit i think i found cheryl to be probably one of the most honest person that i met when i was going through the the breakdown of my marriage she was very honest and blunt with me and really truly it just it really is what i needed at that time and over the time of your interaction and journey through court how did it evolve actually it got better right so I, I, I really believe Cheryl got that ball going where it's like I stopped feeling sorry for myself because don't get me wrong, I shed a lot of tears. I cried a lot. I contemplating doing stuff that I normally wouldn't for, this, for the sake of not seeing my kids. But anytime I reached that stage, I always thought back to what Cheryl told me about, you know what, it's about, it's about your kids. It's about your kids. It's about your kids. And that's what got me to where I am now. What do you want to say to hearing what he said? I'm very happy to hear that. Um, but I, I got that from Ivla from the get-go, from when I spoke with him at family court the very first time. 
uh, he he understood where I was coming from. He got what I was saying, and not everyone does. Sometimes it requires a little more time, a little more effort. Sometimes right. they're just so angry that they can't hear a thing you're saying. Yeah. And those clients are difficult to help, but you know I try, and most of the time I'm able to calm them down, and get them to the p- to the point where they can actually sit down and work out an agreement with the mom or with mm-hmm. the dad yeah. about the kids. Yeah, because everybody comes into the system, the justice system, from their own point of whatever, lived experience. And so they take that and carry that with them, and then that becomes their template of how they interact with others and how well it can go or not go. And so not everybody's open to hearing the kind of message that could be in their best interest to hear. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because they still have a lot of residual stuff baggage with regard to the relationship with the other adult in this and getting them to see somebody who's not part of directly though is directly impacted by the decisions the two adults make the children they're the most vulnerable mm-hmm. and yet a lot of the adults parents don't consider them because they're in attack mode with the other adult that's right how did, how did you process your transition of trying to sort through some of your emotions with, uh, you know, being rational, making concrete decisions. Really, truly comes back to uh, my spirituality because I'm a believer, right, that you reap what you sow. So what I, so what I tried to do was I just attacked it spiritually where I said, you know what, the only thing that I can control is the way that I look at the situation, Right. And and I try to just do not put myself in a position where I had a lot of distractors telling me, okay, this is what I would do, this is what I would do. So I had that, my, my perspective was like David versus Goliath, you know, one versus one, you know. And, and because I had that mentality, it really truly worked in my benefit because at the end of the day, it was really truly about my kids. It wasn't about me trying to save a marriage that I couldn't save. It was me trying to be the best father that I can be for my children. And that's what really, truly got me to where I am now, like I said earlier. Yeah, so taking a different approach in terms of yourself first, and then carrying that into the approach with the other parent. Yeah, it's true, because really, truly, also, it comes back to me just forgiving. You know, forgiving for what I didn't do, what she didn't do. And once I did that, it took so much of the burden off of my shoulder. So I wasn't angry at her. I wasn't pointing fingers at her. I just I just accepted also some of the stuff that I wasn't doing when we were together and how it was affecting kids. Because unfortunately, I, w- I was in some situations where we would be arguing in front of my daughter and my son. And after a while, I had to say to myself, is this what I want for my children? And that's when I put myself in a position where I just... I just started praying and say, listen, I got to get out of this. I don't want to just get out of this in a way that is not confrontational, not vindictive, just totally. I just didn't want it to be very negative. Right. And like I said before, that's how I got out of it and to where I am now. So did you feel, Cheryl, that uh, 
you know, the approach you take and you have taken and you did take with uh, Ive that it it does make a difference? Absolutely, it does make a difference. Um, I often run into people I've represented in family court um, and I've seen so many different people. I forget who they are when they say, oh, Miss Harris, how are you doing? And I, do I know you? <laughs> And they say, oh, you helped me at 47 Shepherd or 311 Jarvis. And you remember my case. It was such, such and such and such. And I'd say, oh, yes, I remember. How are things? And they would say to me, you know, I really, really appreciate the tough love you gave me. Because I was, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I was screwing up. I, I, you know, my children were suffering. And I really really appreciate what you did for me and sometimes they'll hug me in <laughs> the middle of the street and can yeah. I hug you and okay <laughs> and that's so rewarding to me you know just that thank you and that hug and sometimes they ble- they say God bless you and I say you know every little blessing helps thank you that makes a huge difference to me as a lawyer that's my reward and that's what being a successful lawyer is as far as I'm concerned. It's not about how much money you make. It's about the people you can touch and the people you can help to live a better life and to be a better parent. Yeah, I mean, your practice as a lawyer, you don't go on the record. Yes, you yes. Do, you do go yeah, on the record? I have private clients You do as have well. private clients too? Mm-hmm. So you combine both working with the self-represented people as exactly. advice and duty and then... Also, going on retainer, etc. Yes, yes. And then bundled services as well. Exactly. And I also work in a, a couple of community centers. I have w- only one now where I see um, people from various ethnic backgrounds. And I have to be, and I, from all the years I've been going to this particular center, um, the South Asian Women's Center, I've learned to be more culturally sensitive to that culture because you know it's very different to our culture or to mainstream culture and because of that I've been able to I mean they they think I'm South Asian now when when I'm not (laughs) but because I've been able to relate to their culture and you know particularly in the area of domestic violence but I do give a great amount of tough love in those situations to those women I see because they really need the tough love. They need to get out of abusive situations and I help them. Though they may, you know, they may not hear the message right away, especially if they're going through abusive relationships because they are affected by all that stuff that happens and that has been happening and may continue to be happening. And so their decision-making is somewhat clouded in some way and not being in the best interests for themselves because they are the template through or the foundation through which their children are reliant on. And if they're not strong as parents, then the kids, by consequence, will not be in the best environments either, right? Exactly. But for a lot of these women, they are, you know, financially dependent on their partners and they, they don't have a lot of options so 
they or they feel they don't have a lot of options other than staying and subjecting themselves to further abuse, which in the long run is very dysfunctional and very hard on children. And children learn to also be abusive as adults from what they've witnessed with their parents. And I tell the, the parents, m- both male and female, you know, if that's how you want to live your life, then end your relationship and at least be good parents on your own, on each of you separate from the other because that's the only way your children are going to learn what is a good relationship and what is not a good relationship. But if they see you in a bad relationship, that's all they're going to learn. That'll be their norm. That'll be their norm. And that's what they take into their, their future relationships. and their relationships, right? Exactly. You know, people are a product of their environment and lived experiences. And Absolutely. And so using the cultural context which you obviously do, how do you feel that, you know, adds or doesn't add to your practice, whether at court? Because at court we deal with a lot of diverse people. Mm-hmm. Well, I've definitely, as a lawyer, I've definitely grown as a human being um, from dealing, you know, I, I'm from a an ethnic minority. I'm from Jamaica. I'm considered to be a woman of color. But when I was growing up in Jamaica, I was white. (laughs) Then I came to Canada and I became black. So (laughs) that was something I had to deal with. It's, you know, I have adjusted and I embrace my ethnic background. But because of that, I am sensitive to other ethnic groups, um, regardless of what part of the world they come from. So um, I think I can be that sensitive lawyer and and really understand or try to understand anyway if I don't at first their backgrounds and and what it means to them to you know the marriage and what it means to the family and and why they can't leave the marriage and all that sort of thing so you have to be willing to listen and to hear what the other person is saying in order for you to learn what they need and how what your approach should be right so I, I heard that the two of you connected on a certain kind of thing too from doing small talk conversation at the court mm-hmm. what was that subject area that the two of you found a bond uh, shopping <laughs> yeah <laughs> shopping just shopping shopping at local retailers and you know the, how to judge a person by the condition of their shoes <laughs> So it, it was. It was I thought this comical. was not judgmental. Come on. <laughs> well, well, it was comical. It just passed the time. Yeah. Well, it was human. You know, it's like having a conversation with someone to take them away from the matter they have to deal with in family court to to lighten it, yeah, lighten things. Like yeah. Small talk. Yeah. Yeah. We, we we try and use humor here too. We inject it once in a while to throw it out there. <laughs> yeah. Just changes the whole temperature in the room type thing. And so, you know, when you're at court, obviously it's profound. There's yeah. concrete stuff that yeah. if you don't deal with it, it's going to have a lasting impact on outside of the courtroom. So if you're not connected to those moments, you find your best way. Oh, yeah. To know that we're having this kind of conversation I'm in mean, family court was like, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, should I be having this conversation about yeah. where to get a deal on trespass? Well, you you know, when you signed up for advice counsel, did you have that sense that you would get 
advice on shopping, per se? You know what? <laughs> I didn't expect it, but at the same time, it, it, it made the process... It made the process smoother. I won't ask you what you valued more, the legal advice or the shopping advice. <laughs> uh, you don't have to put that out uh, there. Both. Yeah. But the shopping advice was very valuable and still is. Absolutely. <laughs> How do you feel that our own mental health, personality, culture, past lived experiences impacts people when they try to navigate through family justice, for example? I think uh, I think we touched on this earlier. Their cultural backgrounds, personalities, and mental health can have a definite impact on how they view the court system and how they react to, you know, things that a judge might say. Clients, if they don't fully understand, a lot of them are not... Um, Many of them are not educated. They, um, and that's why the service is provided to help them, duty counsel and advice counsel, um, to navigate so that they better understand the system and the law and why a judge might make a ruling one way or another. If they don't understand, or sometimes even when they do understand, it's still difficult for them, particularly in a, let's say, in a male-dominated society that they grew up in, um, and all of a sudden the woman is seeming to have more control over the process, or the woman is, you know, always getting custody of the children, or, you know, whatever the case may be, they, they get angry. And some of these people are the cause, so that's why we have security officers at all of the courts because it's a, it can be a very highly charged experience for them when they feel, you know, either not heard or not understood and they feel that it's slanted. Um, the men f- sometimes feel that it's slanted against them when it's not really. It's, you know, the judges make decisions based on the evidence before them and normally those are well thought out decisions and the, and the parties need to, to have that explained to them. And, and once it's explained to them, I think it makes it easier for them to understand. It doesn't make their anger go away necessarily, but they have a little bit more of an understanding of the process, which is half the battle in family court, is understanding why they're there and why did she get that and why can't I see my kids like Ivla, You know, he couldn't see his kids, which is wrong. And, um, you know, judges don't like when mothers deny fathers their children because it's not healthy for the children. It's, it's actually not in their best interest. So I'm glad that Ivla's situation has sorted out, but mostly it, his own attitude has helped him to deal with the other party and in order that he can have a an amicable reasonably amicable relationship and so his children can grow up in a reasonably amicable and environment more, and a more healthy environment and more healthy yeah getting the contributions of both parents as part of raising the kids exactly what would you want to share with people as your own experience as a self-represented person to better inform others who 
haven't gone or have gone or are going through but really struggling? What I would tell anybody about to go into that those type of situations, there's three things that can really help you. Faith, forgiveness, and prayer. You'd be surprised how those three simple things will help you through the process because in those situations, you know, emotions are all over the place because we're all human, we all feel things, and we all interpret things differently. But at the same time, when you go into those situations, you have to take into consideration that, one, you're not in control. As much as you think you're in control, you're not in control. And when you go to family court, every single experience is individualized to that individual and that case. So what happened to John may not happen to Bob, or what happened to Barbara may not happen to Jane. So sometimes you go in there, you don't know what to expect. But at the same time, if you keep your core just centered, you keep your core firm, really, truly, you'll get through it. And as long as you just do the right thing, whatever that is to you is the right thing. And when I say the right thing is just put your kids first. Put the kids first and show the court that you're taking responsibility for the welfare of your kids and you'll be okay. Because if you do the opposite, it may not work in your favor. Because what I took from my experiences in family court, they just want to see that you're responsible to your kids. And as long as you do that and you're making that effort, things do get better. And that's what I always tell anybody that I meet when they're going through that process. You must show the courts that you're willing to take responsibility for the welfare of your kids and whatever changes in your life that you need to make to make your life, make their, your children's life better, you're willing to do that. And that's all I tell them. You know, the thing is the people may not realize fully that they have ownership of their decision-making. Mm-hmm. And when you go into court, you're giving ownership up to the judge to de- decide for you, to impose, because you and the other parent can't make those collaborative, cooperative decisions together. So the more people can self-connect with their ability to control somewhat their destiny by changing, you know, like you've mentioned, your mindset, your approach, your attitude on how to navigate yourself and then by extension how things would work out. You think that's core? Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. As simple as that may seem, it does work, and I believe it's something that's universal. It doesn't matter about the person's gender, socioeconomic, their culture. It's just one of those things that could be applied to anybody going into that into that situation. And in the end, things do work out. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, but it starts with you. Mm-hmm. So what would you want? We're getting a caller at the last minute. I don't know. What, what would, can you suggest for people who might be navigating the system? to before they even start what they could do um i would suggest that they try to resolve as many of the issues as they can if you know mediation can help that service is available at the courts and um i think if they can at least take that step then you know they may not have to go through the court process and Going through the court process is not something that's in children's best interest normally, uh, especially if it's acrimonious and it drags on for, for too long. It's not helpful. 
It doesn't help the family unit. It doesn't help the children move forward. It doesn't help the parties move forward. You know, litigation is not, in my mind, I'm more of a collaborative lawyer, so I help or, or encourage people to resolve their differences and try to come to some sort of settlement early in the game, even even if it's the first court date, to try to resolve and move on. And um, I, I really enjoy that process when I'm able to get parties, you know, with the assistance of another lawyer or another duty counsel, to get parties to agree to some of the basic things that they can agree to and then they don't have to go through the process of the the litigation they don't have to go through the court and they can they can um you know resolve matters without without the need for a court application so we we did have a caller i took her off there because it wasn't going to be enough time to integrate it into the conversation basically she's got a, a friend who's going through a struggle through family court and facing a lot of obstacles and sort of we talked about this and how to you know actually at the same time where you can take ownership of some way your own space in your own manner and I just said you know afterwards at some point I'm going to edit this as a podcast and then she could access it because she got on to accessing this late into the program anyways we got to close out anything you want to quickly close with that you want people to leave the conversation from or with all I like to do is tell you tell anybody who's out there that's going through you know the family court situation it does get better it really does get better but it really starts with you because sometimes and that's where I'm going to leave it it can get better and as I've said you know it starts with you you have a choice to focus on your children and make their lives as good as you can possibly make them Okay. Thank you for the two of you for coming here and helping better inform us about, you know, your lived experiences going through the family court system. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Okay. You've been listening to Mediation Station on CHHA, 1610 AM.